welcome to episode 212 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to be giving our takes on the fantasy playoffs as it relates to best ball. Obviously, certain formats like DraftKings, Underdog, are heavily weighted towards making all of your money in weeks 15 through 17. So we are going to see what we can gain by looking at the schedule, figuring out the best matchups and some other factors that may give you a little bit of an edge when building for the money-making part of the season. We're also going to debut a new segment, just sort of an ADP market check, look at the biggest risers and fallers for a given week. We'll also talk about our new content schedule. Joey, how you doing, buddy, before we get into all that? How, how are things? I mean... Get, getting better, getting there, you know? Better by the day. Yeah, that's all That's all you can ask for, right? You just got to get better a little bit each day, and, you know, you just got to keep on pushing. Yeah, I mean, not, not much besides that. I mean, I mean th- things things are starting to to turn around, look up, though. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited, and I'm excited to uh, start pumping out some more content for all of our listeners out there and you know, all of these best ball tournaments that we're going to be grinding and, and streaming moving forward. I'm excited. Let, let's just talk about that now. Let's not bury the lead. Let's talk about our new content schedule, and it's going to be packed if you want to go over what we're going to be doing for the people. Yeah, so we're going to be releasing three podcasts per week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. On Monday and Wednesday, that's just going to be podcasts with Ben and I, and we might have a guest on one of those podcasts every week, depending on you know people's availability. But those are just going to be random topics, player news, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, just anything that we might talk about in regards to fantasy football, best ball, whatever. Every Friday, we will drop a podcast where we take a look at some of the biggest players in terms of ADP and whether or not they are rising or falling uh, according to Underdog's Fantasy ADP. And that's going to be a 10 to 15 minute podcast each and every single Friday where we discuss that. So just in terms of podcasts, that's what we have for the people. In terms of streams, we're going to be streaming every Sunday at 12 o'clock. Ben had the bright idea, Best Ball Brunch. Mm, you know, absolutely. That, that's, that's a great name. Uh, but yeah, Best Ball Brunch every Sunday at noon Eastern because we live in New York. We will be starting that this Sunday. So if you're interested, check us out at the DFS Dose on YouTube and on our Twitter. We will be live streaming it to both platforms. We'll probably start with a drafters or an underdog draft. We haven't decided yet, but probably one of those two sites. But we're definitely going to mix in each and every single one of these contests on drafters, underdog, DraftKings, and whatever other platform is out there. We're going to be doing all of them. So make sure you check out the streams every single Sunday. Come through, you know, have some coffee, make yourself a mimosa. I certainly will be, you know, a little bit of champagne, maybe a mm-hmm. screwdriver on the right occasion. Get a little bit harder, get drafting these teams. So I'm looking forward to it. Best ball brunch every Sunday, three podcasts per week, as well as YouTube content, player-specific videos, debates, etc., etc. It is time to just really grind for the next three months in preparation for the 2022 NFL season. All right, before we get into our analysis of the fantasy playoffs, I just wanted to touch on this recent and growing trend of threads on Twitter. Obviously, you know, Twitter is sort of the social media 
outlet that we use most frequently. We promote our Twitters on here. Twitter is imperative, I think, to success in best ball and in DFS and any sort of competitive news-based gambling competition, you're going to want to have information. And I just think the best information is on Twitter. It's the sharpest minds and just the quickest way to get niche information. And this recent trend of threads is really taking over the platform lately. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. And I don't I don't know. How do you feel about Twitter threads? I haven't seen you doing them. Yeah, I mean... I'm I'm not a thread guy myself. No. Personally, my thoughts on Twitter threads, I don't care for them. Like if I see one, I might open it and see what it's about, but I'm definitely not reading every single tweet in the thread and for some reason they have taken over Twitter's algorithm, you know, whether that be just organically or not organically. And, you know, maybe Twitter just decided that's the content that they want to push. I just think it's quite annoying personally. You don't find it. You don't find it entertaining. Like you don't find it really like interesting that somebody has put in, you know, X amount of hours. And these are the secrets to gambling that I learned, which they will slowly tell you over 35 more tweets. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't necessarily uh, fuck with that. (laughs) I think it's very, very obnoxious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a thread once in a while or a thread about, you know, some useful information, that's fine. But a thread in, in terms of advice and all this other bullshit that everybody that is in the space pretty much already knows, unless you're just the stone casual, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I think it's pretty pointless. Yeah, it just uh it doesn't piss me off, but I just won't read it, literally. I, w- I will not read any of the tweets in a thread, period. See, neither, neither will I, and to me it just goes back to, you know, what I learned in journalism school that you never bury the lead. You know, you put the most important information at the top and it's an inverted pyramid. You know, you think about a pyramid flipped upside down. You want all of the top most valuable information at the beginning and then you get less and less because people's attention spans are so thin these days that, you know, the chances of them making it to the bottom are already probably pretty thin. And if you're burying the only useful information at the bottom of a 20 tweet thread, you know, what are the chances that anybody's even going to make it that far? Like if your first tweet is like, if you bet on sports, check this out. Like I'm not checking it out, bro. I'm just not, <laughs> you know, lead off with the inf- the useful information. And if it's too much to fit into, you know, a-, a tweet, then add a second tweet, you know, add a third tweet. I'll even read up to five tweets. But once you go past that, it's just the chances yeah, are like chopped. 5% that I'm-, I'm reading that. You'd have to be really engaging. And unfortunately, most of these threads just seem to be, you know, engaged farming trash that that i have no desire to read past I mean, the first or second at the end of the day that's all it is is engagement farming those threads get promoted by twitter to people that don't follow that specific person right mm. it's kind of like you know if you're just on twitter just scrolling through your home page like the first couple tweets that you pop up are going to be like viral tweets from people or accounts you don't follow it's the same thing with fantasy football and and these threads. It's like, that's what's getting promoted. That's what gets the engagement. And that's the only reason why they're doing it. Not to, or, okay, it is to provide some value, but it's 
to get more people seeing their stuff and get more followers and whatnots. It's all just a, a marketing tactic. That's all it is. But it works. So it seems like there's a lot of people ganging up on on the thread crew, you know. I feel like it's becoming a meme now, specifically within fantasy. Yeah, it's becoming a meme in fantasy Twitter, but there's still a lot of people who engage with the threads. As you see, they get like 500 to 800 likes just on the opening tweet, mm. right? And then if you do scroll through the entire thread, like each tweet will have, you know, 15 to 20 likes. So they are getting engagement with the threads, but I can agree that, you know, there there are some high profile guys that are kind of mocking and, and memeing this thread trend in fantasy Twitter. All right. Well, I mean, I, for one, would be happy to see this trend dwindle into nothingness. That would that would be great for me. And yeah, I just I guess I guess we'll never be part of the thread crew. All right. Fantasy playoffs weeks 15 through 17, where all of the money is made in best ball tournaments. There's been a lot of talk about specific matchups. You know, are you building for week 17, building for week 15, you know, just simply to advance as many teams as possible? Or are you trying to win in week 17 in the championship? Like, assuming that you're going to get there in the draft. And I guess that's where I want to start is what's most important to you across a profile of best ball teams. Is it building to win week 17 or building to advance as many possible teams towards week 17? Because I think that what you look for in the playoff schedule differs based on what your goals are. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is the question that everybody wants the answer to, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want as many chances as possible to advance or do you want to build correlated lineups and if your teams do hit you know you have a bigger edge on the field in that 400 and you know 50 or 470 person gpp in week 17 for me i it's tough i i think both are important i think a lot of people in fantasy twitter and you know, best ball guys would say that building for week 17 is more important than getting a bunch of teams through just because of my point about it being a small field DraftKings tournament, pretty much, right? You you want to correlate your lineups as, as much as possible. You want the stack with the bring back and hopefully you get everything right in that week uh, so you can shoot for first. And we've talked about it before. That's ultimately what you want to do in best ball, right, is you want to play for first. So I think if I had to pick a side, I think I would be on the side of building for the finals is more important than getting a bunch of teams through. Because at the end of the day, like if you won 50, you're probably only going to get like what 25 30 teams through at the high end mm -hmm. so i think focusing on that week 17 correlation and the playoff correlation in general is definitely more plus ev than trying to get as many teams through it definitely makes sense because you know let's bring it back to our dfs core and ultimately like you're saying you're building for a small field gpp in week 17 and in the smaller field tournaments on DraftKings, like this would be. So let's take the DraftKings one, for example, where week 17 in the big uh, $5 best ball tournament, the final field is like 900 people or so. And in a tournament that size on DraftKings, you're not going to need the absolute highest score possible to win. It's going to be a lower score because the field is lower. 
And so it makes sense that it's going to be more correlated than, say, a tournament like a Millie Maker with, you know, hundreds of thousands of peoples where, you know, the stone nuts can hit and correlation may be less important. Like you'll see that mm. in the large field tournaments. But, you know, if you can just get a couple of things right, hence, you know, a, a stack and a bring back for week 17, you're probably going to have a good chance of hitting that tournament. I think it's different, though, because you have to first get there. You can't just buy in like a regular tournament. And, you know, you could have the most correlated week 17 lineup of all time, but it's not going to do you much good if you get knocked out in week 15. <laughs> like exactly. you, li- Like you said, you know, I think predominantly the main train of thought is that building for week 17 is correct. I don't hear very many people echoing, you know, advancement rate as the most important thing. I think I would be on the rare side that I want to just get as many possible teams as I can to the finals. You know, I want as many shots as I can get. I don't want to try and over project out deep into December and January, which teams are going to have the highest scoring matchups versus just sort of building for more general things that I think matter. So for example, one thing that I try to look at every single year that I don't see too many people talking about is which teams are going to have two home games across weeks 15 uh, through 17. You know, no teams have three in a row. And obviously because there's 32 teams, half the teams are going to get two home games. And you can just sort of look at that and, and at least take a little bit in terms of knowing that they should be projected more points. On average, last year, home teams were favored cumulatively by 1.7 points per game. You know, that's less than two points, but it still is something worth noting. And you can note that that figure is the lowest it's been since 2002 so you know realistically that could trend back more towards the average over the past 20 years and teams be favored more at home so you look at teams with two home games and just generally can know that they should be projected more points than opposing teams just simply based off being at home I definitely like that you you go and look at the teams that do have two home games because obviously in the NFL and in sports in general there is a factor to being at home and you know having the home crowd advantage but like you said it has been trending down recently uh you know one of those was a COVID year so that doesn't really count but I think just in terms with the NFL now there's just such a difference between the best team in the league and the worst team in the league right Mm -hmm. to where it's like it doesn't matter if the if the Texans have two home games in 2022 which they do if they're playing the Chiefs and the Bills in those games obviously they aren't like just for an example like they're going to get smoked no matter what so obviously there's a lot of nuance involved in you and you have to like sort through it a little bit but I definitely think it is some good information to look at for sure yeah I I think it's it's not like okay these guys have two home games so I'm bumping them up 20 spots in my rankings it's definitely not like (laughs) that but I think it could be you know a tiebreaker or really just like good information. I'll post the list, a little cheat sheet in our Discord. If you guys ever want to just hop in our Discord for free, we do stuff like that often, you know, post little cheat sheets and just sort of stuff like that. So you guys can see the list in our Discord of all the teams with two plus home games and, you know, use it for yourself however you, you know, however you see fit if that's a slight boost for you or if it's not. But um, I definitely think it's worth looking at. Let Let's take a look at, you know, these Week 17 matchups. I think there's a couple of clear-cut standouts that, You know, you can just see clearly the path to these games being monster in terms of scoring even months and months out. I think the big one is 
Bills, Bengals. That seems like the game that everybody is, you know, getting their Sharpie out, circling, and looking forward to for Week 17. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of, like, four games that a lot of people are going to be targeting, especially because a lot of Bills and Bengals players go in the early rounds in digs. Mixon, mm-hmm. Chase, T. Higgins, etc. So that's definitely the game that everybody is going to look towards. And it's the last game of week 17, a Monday night game in Cincinnati. So I definitely think somebody will win or lose $2 million because of this game. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's definitely going to be an exciting game for sure. Uh, some other games that I think the field is going to want to stack quite a bit is the Rams and the Chargers, which is a Sunday night game. So the second to last game of week 17, that is going to be an electric game, obviously with two of the best offenses in the NFL. And then I think the third game that a lot of people are going to target quite a bit is the Broncos and Chiefs game as well. Obviously, Russell Wilson versus Patrick Mahomes in week 17 division matchup. That game could very well decide the division. It's in Kansas City. Uh, so that should be an electric game as well. And we and I think the field is going to gravitate towards stacking Broncos and Chiefs players uh, for sure. You mean it'll, it'll decide which of those teams, you know, finish second behind the Chargers in the division. That's what you meant, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, no, those are definitely the three standout games. I would say the other two that I would sort of qualify as like sleeper games that I I think could be on this same sort of radar but people aren't thinking about would be Saints at Eagles depending I mean obviously there's a wide range like those could very well be two dead teams come December which is why I don't try and read too deeply into this but you know Jalen Hurts obviously a player that we as a podcast are super high on and I think we're pretty high on what the Saints offense could be if they act the way that we're sort of expecting them to and shifting more pass heavy going back to you know the arm of Jameis Winston Chris Olave Jarvis Landry Michael Thomas like that could be a quietly sneaky high scoring game and then I'm also interested in Arizona at Atlanta obviously Atlanta is you know one of the worst teams in the league I've bet they're under on five and a half wins it might even be down to five now so like obviously not super bullish on Atlanta but you know they're a team with a a god-awful defense they could have a rookie quarterback sort of starting to show flashes by that time and they do have weapons on offense in London Pitts Cordero and obviously Arizona's a high-powered team that should still be in the race for the playoffs at that point in the season Mm -hmm. too so those are two sort of sneaky games that I like but yeah I think the three that we you know, kick this off with are the premier games to target for week 17. Yeah, I definitely like uh, the Cardinals and and Falcons game as a sneaky stack for week 17. And you don't have to go crazy in terms of this stack. Like you don't have to draft Kyler, D-Hop, Hollywood, James Conner, you know, Drake London, et cetera, et cetera. You could just do a mini correlation between, you know, Hollywood Brown in the fifth round and Drake London in the 6th or 7th or wherever he's going, right? You can do Cordero Patterson and DeAndre Hopkins as a mini stack, right? There, There's a lot of possibilities in this game, and there's a lot of good skill position players in this game between these two teams. Uh, so I definitely like that as a sneaky stack for sure. And the Saints-Eagles, I, I definitely agree with that as well. You know, you don't trade up for a rookie wide receiver. You don't go out 
and signing Jarvis Landry if you don't want to throw the ball more. Then you take a look at Kamara's situation, and he could get suspended for eight games, ten games for beating the shit out of a dude in Las Vegas. So they might be down their best running back and their best runner on their team. So I think the trend that we could see is the Saints go more pass-heavy than they have in recent years, especially with Jameis as the starting quarterback, most likely. Other than that, I think the game or two games that I like on this week 17 slate is the 49ers and Raiders in a dome in Las Vegas. Trey Lance obviously should be the guy by that point. Then you have Derek Carr with Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs. So that could be a pretty explosive game and a sneaky stack and a sneaky correlation and then the Vikings and Packers obviously Mm -hmm. Uh, one of their games every year seems to shoot out so hopefully it's the second game in week 17 yeah that that's the other thing that you know gives me some slight pause just from our years of DFS you know research and experience you know you know that the second division game between division rivals is almost always going to be lower scoring uh it's been a trend for years so that does give me pause about week 17 teams that are facing each other for the second time in a year i.e minnesota green bay i.e Chiefs Broncos but at the same time it's not the kind of thing that I want to project too far out again that's that's really like the main thing for me I don't want to put too much into this it's just something that can make the differentiator between two players in the same tier like if I have Justin Jefferson coming out of the first round coming to the second round I'm looking at DeAndre Swift and Aaron Jones and Leonard Fournette, you know, three players that I view very similarly, I'm probably going to be leaning Aaron Jones in that spot just for the added upside that if, you know, Justin Jefferson goes absolutely nuclear in week 17, it makes sense that somebody on the Packers is going to be putting up points. So why not go with one of their top tier players in that spot over Swift and Fournette? just for the correlation. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, I also think your point about not projecting too far, you know, into the season is definitely a good point as well. And I think the the data backs that up where it's it's kind of like you don't want to go all in on these week 17 games, right? Right. Like you don't want to stack one team heavily and then stack their opposing team just for week 17. Like I was saying with with the Cardinals and Falcons, you know, your best bet with a lot of these games is just having many correlations. You know, like you mentioned with Justin Jefferson and Aaron Jones, like that should suffice, right? And if they, like you said, if Justin Jefferson smashes, Aaron Jones could be smashing as the pass catcher, uh, Green Bay out of the backfield, right? And Obviously, there's a bunch of other similar players and situations that we could talk about in terms of correlation, uh, but that's really all you want to be doing is just mini stacks, you know, a couple one-offs, because the one-offs are what win you tournaments. Absolutely. In my opinion, because the data shows like if you stack a, a team pretty heavily, like you're just sacrificing a lot of value because there is value in just drafting one offs that score points rather than taking wide receiver threes or tight end twos to pair with your quarterback. Yeah, because I mean, if Justin Jefferson is having the type of game that like, you know, is winning you two million dollars, most of the offensive, you know, firepower is going through him. Like you're probably not also getting you know kj osborne and irv smith in that same week 17 lineup or theme exactly yeah um so yeah i i I agree and you know that just gives me a little idea for a future podcast segment we can swing back around to at a later date and just you know maybe look at a handful of two-player correlations for this sort of thing 
uh, that come at an affordable price that you can just build into your thought process. I definitely think that is a plus EV strategy is just focusing on, you know, some good mini correlations with value players in drafts because it obviously all depends on ADP, right? And where these players are going, but you could definitely get some good correlations at a low cost. So that's definitely something that we should discuss at a future time. But yeah, week 17, I mean, it's pretty important. I think everybody knows that you're on the side of you want just as many teams to get through. I definitely agree, but I definitely think you also want to be shooting for first. But like you said, and I think the overall point is it's hard to project so far out into the season. You know, people smarter than me have done the math and they think the value uh, lies in stacking for week 17. So, you know, and sometimes you just got to put your trust in people. That That's what I say. That, well, no, disagree. No, can't trust anyone. <laughs> so maybe don't listen to them. But listen to us. Trust. Maybe us, you should listen to the people that have won a best ball tournament. Exactly. Like me. Not the people that haven't advanced any teams to a final before. Right. Also me. Also me. I had to also win. I, I, I had to win one without without uh without playoffs but that's that's neither here nor there at at the moment last thing i'll say to close this out is that i think even by like considering this and and building this into some of your lineups you're probably decently above the field like you know it seems probably like this is a common strategy at this point in best ball and and maybe in may it is because there's a lot of sharp drafters and a lot of people are listening to podcasts and stuff, but the vast majority of people are not doing that. Like that's just factual. Like especially yeah. on on like DraftKings, for example, where you know the field is a lot more casual than on say underdog or drafters. You know, I, I just think that, you know, by building this in, you're giving yourself a slight edge and you're doing something that has been proven to be impactful and that not the entire field is doing like this to me will be as common practice as like the core roster construction theories are now whereas they weren't a couple of years ago i think that you know building playoff stacks will be in a couple of years but it may not be there yet because this is really only something that people have been discussing since last season yeah for sure and i think that's what i always forget is that best ball is still like in its early stages and not everybody that is drafting is listening to podcasts and watching youtube videos and reading articles and stuff so i i think it's i personally always think that it's like just common sense to to correlate right because right. that's pretty much what we do in fantasy football just in general is we just want the max correlation because we know that's what provides the most value you know in in dfs tournaments and best ball tournaments and whatnot but i forget not everybody is like us and not um, and not everybody who plays best ball is you know like not all of their main backgrounds come from dfs the way that ours do i would say yeah. you know where like dfs was really what we jumped into fully and like committed the last three four years of in terms of like the majority of our work in fantasy whereas a lot of people i think are coming more so from from redraft or some other format because that's just the most popular and arguably very similar to best ball in the sense that it's drafting so i don't know i think that you know just the better DFS player you are, I've always said this, the easier it'll be for you to pick up best ball because the the concepts are so similar. Yep. And, you know, if you're listening to this or listening to podcasts in general, like you said, you, you have an edge on the field. And I think in some of these tournaments, there's 
definitely a huge edge in drafting, you know, especially on like DraftKings, like you said, a lot of casual drafters and you can get a lot of value that you can't get on other sites. So just get out there and start drafting. And if you're not on drafters, make sure you sign up and use our promo code DOSE mm-hmm. and you'll get a free entry into uh, their best ball tournament. I mean, think about that. Like I, you're listening to this podcast. You're probably somebody who's, you know, already thinking about drafting if you haven't already. All you got to do is deposit 10 measly American dollars on drafters.com. Type in four letters, D-O-S-E, DOSE, mm-hmm. and you get a free $20 entry that you could use your your edge and your knowledge to convert into $250,000 by the end of this year. It's, it seems like an absolute no-brainer to me. Yeah, that's like a 200% deposit bonus. That's crazy. Promo code DOSE on drafters. All right, let's close out the show with our first look at the ADP market report for this week. All right, so over the past seven days, according to Underdog ADP, we have seven players who have shifted five or more spots in terms of their current price The biggest mover over the last week was rookie wide receiver Jalen Tolbert for the Dallas Cowboys. He has moved 10 spots up in terms of ADP. His current ADP is 159.2. And, you know, I haven't really found any reason for this. Like, there aren't any blurbs about him. It's not like he's been, you know, going crazy at camp or anything. It's not like we got bad news on Michael Gallup. I think people maybe you're just sort of coming to realization that Tolbert is in a great offense in a great spot for early season production as a rookie. Yeah, I think that's really all it is at the end of the day is that he's attached to a good quarterback, one of the best in the NFL. He has a chance to see opportunity early in the season with Gallup most likely being out a month or so. So a rookie wide receiver and his cost is pretty low. His old ADP was 169.6. His current ADP is 159.2. He's currently the wide receiver 71. I still think that's too cheap for a player that is going to start in three wide receiver sets week one, you know, barring injury, and has the upside to stay in those three wide receiver sets as the season moves on if he can leapfrog James Washington on the depth chart and he was a productive wide receiver at college so he does have college production in his profile he is a pretty solid athlete just in terms of his athletic measurables and he does have a chance for some opportunity in a good offense to start the year so I I am on board uh, with Jalen Tolbert it's kind of what we talked about a month or so ago just rookies in general are going to appreciate in value which is why you should have just been hammering them in the pre-draft and you know right after the draft because their ADPs are just going to rise as the offseason goes on and as reports come out and as injuries happen so I hope everybody got on the uh, rookie train early and often yeah absolutely this is exactly why we talked about it and i'm sure that this will not be the only time we discuss rookies on the adp market report looking at another rookie uh we had Keontae ingram move up nearly eight spots 7.8 points in adp he's moved up in the last seven days he was the rookie running back for arizona although i think 
my my inclination is that that is going to come to a quick halt and he may be on the exact opposite side of this come next week because yesterday the Arizona Cardinals added Daryl Williams to their backfield and the way I'm looking at it is that Williams is very likely to leapfrog a sixth round rookie and be the direct backup to James Conner. You know, Williams has already moved up 4.9 points in ADP value. And I think that his rise will continue throughout the coming week. And that'll probably directly correlate to a drop in Ingram's value. Yeah, I I, I could definitely see that. But I also think that in terms of what you mentioned and Darrell Williams being James Conner's direct backup, I still think that leaves a role open on the offense to fill the Chase Edmonds spot from last year. Ingram can definitely fill that role, but I definitely would agree that Dare Williams will most likely be the RB2, but it's not like he's anything special, right? It's it's not like he's this great running back that you have to get touches. He's just a depth signing at this point. Who knows? He could be cut by the start of the season. They still have Eno Benjamin as well, so I think there's definitely going to be a running back competition for the RB2 and the RB3 spot for sure. I wouldn't be surprised to see Ingram win that. I honestly don't know anything about him, but it can't be that hard to beat out Darrell Williams in 2022 maybe I mean his his player profiler comp was TJ Yeldon which doesn't really inspire you know a ton of confidence to me and I don't know he just doesn't have draft capital and Daryl Williams like is he not going to be the Chase Edmonds? Isn't he probably the best pass catcher there? I don't I don't know. I guess I don't know what Ingram's background is either but it's just going to be all James Conner right yeah, I mean, James Conner is probably going to absorb some of those receptions, no? Yeah, no, James Conner is going to be the three-down workhorse, most likely. And then one of these guys is just going to be the change of pace back. Um, but, you know, th- their value really only lies with a James Conner injury at this point. At their current ADPs, I definitely think you should be taking stabs on both Ingram and Daryl Williams, because one of these guys will end up as the RB2. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely agree with that. And then closing out the players who have been, you know, trending upwards, we have Russell Gage and Robbie Anderson, a pair of wide receivers who have moved. They've each moved between five and five and a half spots in the past couple of weeks. You know, I, I tend to agree with both of these guys. I mean, it cost. I've been drafting both of them. Obviously, Russell Gage is set up really well at the beginning of the year with Chris Godwin expected to miss some time. We don't know exactly how much time, but you know, Gage is a guy that Brady specifically called, wanted to get on the offense. He was turning up towards the end of last year. We saw him put up some big games. I think he's got a relatively high floor in that Bucks offense and the capability to put up ceiling games just based off being attached to Brady and a incredibly strong offense. Robbie Anderson coming off of one of the most disappointing seasons of last year, still struggling in terms of situation. It's a, it's a poor spot with poor quarterback play. He's obviously not going to be the alpha in that offense with DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey likely to be the top two leads in targets. But it was only two years ago that Robbie had 95 catches and, you know, almost 1,100 yards. He's a player going in the 170s. His his new ADP after moving up is 176.8. So I, I don't know. That's a lot of value on a receiver that does have good seasons within his range of outcomes. Yeah, I mean, Robbie's a good player, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, the situation is just pretty horrible right now. Obviously, they drafted Matt Corral, 
So maybe Matt comes in and improves the offense and can provide value to multiple wide receivers. And then obviously Christian McCaffrey is going to get his as long as he's healthy. I'm not too interested in Robbie Anderson personally. Good player, just terrible situation that I really don't want any part of, especially with no changes to the coaching staff besides them bringing in a new offensive coordinator. I'm out on Robbie. I mean, his price is so low, but I don't I really don't care i i not even want. even as a wide receiver like seven you, you're not buying yeah it with that. i just damn i just don't want any part russell gage i definitely think he's a good pick uh his current adp is 96 so he's in the top 100 and he definitely should see volume to start the year as long as chris godwin is out just in terms of the bucks and their division they really have no reason to rush chris godwin back if you think about it they're in one of the worst divisions in football with the Panthers and the Falcons and the Saints, right? They have one of the best defenses in the division and in the league, uh, one of the best offenses. So Chris Godwin, they, they could be like, all right, you know, sit out half the year, come back in week nine, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you're good, ready to go for the playoff stretch. And Russell Gage could be the guy that benefits the most from Chris Godwin not being there. And he's attached to the greatest quarterback of all time. So I definitely don't mind Gage, but I'm definitely not drafting Robbie Anderson. And it's just for me this year, I just don't want to draft players in terrible situations because of what they've done, you know, two or three years ago, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't want to draft Robbie because he had a good year two years ago. It's it's just that simple. All right. Well, okay. So let me... Let me say I agree with you there. Well, let's flip over to the players who have been dropping in ADP, and the the biggest faller is Will Fuller, and I think he fits right in that bucket. You know, he in terms of situation is not in a good one because he doesn't have one. He is not currently on an NFL team, and he is falling drastically according to four for four. He's fallen 7.5 spots over the last week. His current ADP is 165.5. One, uh, I still find myself drafting him. I think I am more likely to take shots on proven players who we know have a high ceiling, even despite his ADP being 165.1. I've been doing a lot of DraftKings drafting, and you can legitimately get Will Fuller past pick 190, past pick 200 in some of these drafts. And I just don't know that there is another player going in that range that can find himself in a situation where he's going to have 30 plus points in his range of outcomes. And I think that, you know, Will Fuller could find himself in that situation in in a multitude of landing spots. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I love Will Fuller. I think the reason for his drop in ADP is just because of the uncertainty around, you know, his injury and whether or not he's healed because apparently it was like a freak like finger injury. He still hasn't signed with the team, which I think some people are concerned about, but a team will definitely take a chance on Will Fuller for sure. He might sign in a month, he might sign in three months, but I think he's definitely going to be on a team. Just the type of player that Will Fuller is uh, and the upside that he has and that we've seen before. I think if he goes to the right situation with a good quarterback, he's just going to absolutely smash his current ranking of wide receiver 73. So I definitely like targeting Will Fuller in drafts. But let's say he signs to a bad team. I I probably wouldn't want any parts of Will Fuller. So I guess you're just taking a risk on potential landing spot with him at this point. You are, but I mean, even a bad team would probably spike his ADP 20 spots, right? Like, I'm I'm, I'm trying to think, like, like, if he goes to, like, the Bears or or something like that, you know, I don't know. I feel like he's still jumping in value. So I I don't know. Yeah. 
His ADP would still jump, but like if he went to the Bears, like I'm drafting zero Will Fuller. Really? Yeah. I, I guess I could see that, but I I would still think that even in a bad landing spot, it's a good position to have just based off value. So like, yeah, I would be yeah. very disappointed if he went to the Bears, but at the same time, I would look at you know my ADP exposure being twenty to thirty points better than you know the people who are drafting him in July when he's with the Bears. Like, yeah, I, I still feel like that's a good stance to take, even if at that point i am not drafting him anymore you know yep no i i I agree with that just from a value perspective you should probably be drafting will fuller because once he does sign it's the same thing with rookies once they get drafted their value rises immediately uh so there's just a lot of uncertainty with the free agents right now you know some speculation if a team's gonna sign them i mean a team is is going to sign will fuller so yeah just draft him based on value and hopefully he goes to uh the right situation and then, you know, we follow that up by talking about our, our second biggest faller who is, you know, in a very similar situation. That's Julio Jones. And and with Julio, I I mean, look, bro, I mean, I'm not taking Julio. I, I'm just not. He's too old. So it's kind of a contradiction because I think his ADP is probably going to skyrocket too. But I'm just so much less confident that at this stage in his career that Julio Jones is going to come in and a neutral situation and produce like if he lands in the stone nut situation then i could see it but i i think that he is a lot more situationally dependent on value paying off than will fuller is just at the respective stages of their careers yeah i made this mistake uh with drafting julio last year and i think a lot of people did and he's got her and he's been dealing with a lot of injuries over the last couple of years and julio jones is obviously one of the best wide receivers in nfl history but it's done it's over time time to call it quits time time to call it time time to call it quits maybe you take a shot or two in drafts just for nostalgia's sake Just for, you know, maybe he he does hit that 99th percentile outcome in terms of his team and opportunity, finding the fountain of youth, but it's done. Julio is done. I'm calling it on him. He had a great career. The cliff comes, you know, surprisingly sometimes, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think the cliff has has came, and I think he walked over the ledge. So, sorry, Julio. I will not be drafting you in fantasy football, uh, nor do I believe anybody should be drafting you in fantasy football this year. All right, the final player that we'll discuss on this edition of the ADP Market Report is Raheem Mostert, who has been dropping in value uh, his current ADP is 165. He's going as the RB51. I think that a big factor in this was the recent addition of Sony Michelle. You could argue that Mostert has some value on underdog where, you know, his lack of pass catching upside in a really crowded backfield is not such a detriment, but it still feels like, you know, Mostert is not going to catch any passes with Edmonds, Gaskin, and Michelle there. And then, you know, you look at Michelle, I think, is sort of a direct competitor with Mostert to handle that, you know, sort of ground and pound role in that offense where Chase will have his role relatively secured, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't have too much interest in Raheem Mostert this year for fantasy in any type of format. I think 
that he is a good running back. I just think the situation isn't great for fantasy. You mentioned like four other running backs that he's going to compete for touches with. He's not going to catch passes and he is what you could classify as injury prone, right? You know, Mm -hmm. we've talked about whether injury prone is real or not, whatever, but he does get injured quite a bit. So I could definitely see why his ADP has dropped. I also want no parts of Raheem Mostert for 2022 I think he will have a spike week here or there just because of the type of running back he is and the big play threat potential that he has but there's just not going to be enough opportunity there's not going to be enough upside in that offense for him to smash although he is the RB 51 so he is pretty cheap and he doesn't have to do much to beat it so I guess you can you know draft some Raheem Mostert but I don't think he's winning you a million or two million dollars this year uh no shot yep just seems like the type of of pick that isn't going to really help you um so i'm not gonna make it i would rather take sony michelle four rounds later and and that's how i feel about that and yeah you know i think we've said it all and done it all and and that's gonna be it for episode 212 of the dfs dose podcast really excited to have talked about our new content schedule gonna be putting out three podcasts per week best ball brunch every Sunday at noon Eastern. Make sure you check us out on YouTube. You can follow our Twitter as well at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. If you guys want to connect with us, stay up to date with what's going on on the podcast and join the inner circle. The link to join our free Discord is in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.